Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. Um, Well, I'm so excited to be back. Thank you, Pastor Seth, last weekend for doing such a phenomenal job filling in. And, And can I just say... We are super blessed because that was last minute. I mean, it was the day before and I was not feeling great and uh, he said he would step up and step in and I was able to watch online last weekend and again, just sitting there thinking how blessed we are that God has brought the team that he's brought. Amen? Amen. Well, if you've been with us, you know that we've been in a series that we've called Underdog. And, uh, and as we walk through this series, basically the, the hope is, is that you'll walk away with an understanding that when we are alive in Christ, when we are following Jesus Christ, that we are not the underdog, that we were an underdog and then Jesus, right? And so uh, our key verse that we've kind of looked at throughout the last few weeks is Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse four. It says this, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. How many of you know God wants you to have victory? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, in these next few moments as we spend time looking at it, that, Lord, you would speak to us right where we are. That, God, wherever we find ourselves in our faith journey, that we'd be drawn closer to you. God, I, I pray for those who are in Star Valley and joining us there and those who will be joining us in Malawi and in the jail and in Alaska. We're, God, we're just so grateful for the doors that you continue to open. But Father God, I pray, Lord, that wherever we are, again, Lord, that we will hear your word and it will affect us. It will change us. Lord, help us to realize that you've called us to victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to look in John chapter 11, starting with verse 11. It says this, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said that he said, Lazarus sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days, and finally he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So as we look at this story, I don't know how many of you have ever been in a situation where you're praying for Jesus to show up. You're in a situation where maybe there's a medical condition, maybe there's a relationship issue, maybe there's a financial strain, and you're praying for Jesus to show up, and his timing is not your timing. Now, in this story, uh, time is of the essence. As we look at this, Mary and Martha, they send word, they say, hey, Jesus, your dear friend. In other words, I'm going to pull the dear friend card. All right. Not only do I, I know that you are a God who heals, not only are, are you a God who can take care of this, but I also know that this is your dear friend, so I need you to show up. Like maybe you could expedite things a little faster because I'm playing that card. So he sends word that he will come later. Now, um, as we look at this story, we need to understand a couple of things. First of all, why wouldn't he go when he hears? And, and maybe you are in that position where you're like, God... I'm praying, I'm asking, and I'm needing, and you're not showing up. 
But as we look at this story, what we need to understand is Jesus came to earth to do one thing, and that was to bring glory to his Father. So he looked at things through a different lens than you and I look at things. Mary and Martha said, hey, Jesus, you can receive so much glory because Lazarus is, is about to die. So if you show up now, how incredible will it be when you just come and you touch him and you heal him and now all the, uh, everything's better and just think of what will happen. But Jesus has one lens that he looks through life through and that is what will bring the most glory to his father. What would it look like if we, the church, would begin to try and look at life through that same lens? What if it wasn't about what will make me the most comfortable and what will make God, instead, what will make God the most glorified? Because if we would walk that out, if we would begin to believe that, if we begin to trust that, if we begin to understand that it isn't about our comfort level, it's about his glory level, then all of a sudden it will change the way that we see even our current circumstance. Notice that he says, let's go back to, let's go to Judea a place where people were beginning to rise up against him. So John chapter 11, verse eight, it says this, but his disciples objected, Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people of Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of the world. But at night, there is a danger of stumbling because uh, they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus had simply fallen asleep, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Amazing, amazing story because Jesus kind of talks in these moments where he's giving them little insights as to what's about to happen. And he says to them, hey, there's, there's only so much daylight. In other words, there's only so much time that I'm here and then I'm going to go. And when I go, then, then it's going to be even harder. And you need to understand that life is not about being easier for you. It's about understanding that if we live our lives to bring him glory, if we live our lives to make him famous, if we live our lives in such a way that we can do all that we can to shine a light on him, then, then it may mean that life will be harder for us, but even in that, we get to understand that, that God is always there and he will always show up on our behalf. Amen. Our, uh, both of our sons are colorblind and... Um, and we've offered both of them at different times that we would buy them. I don't know if you've ever seen these. They have the, the colorblind glasses. So if you're colorblind, you can put on these sunglasses and you'll actually get to see the world the way everybody else. And neither one of them wanted these glasses. They didn't want to know. I don't know if they didn't want to know what they were missing. But I couldn't help but think as I was thinking about that, about Jesus putting on the, the lens of understanding that this world is going to pass, that this is temporary, but what he came for was eternal. And, and if all of a sudden the church would put on these glasses and begin to see things differently and begin to understand, one of the things that you'll see if you get onto the church's website or often in videos, you'll see the tag that says, see church differently. Well, I think I, maybe it needs to be see the world differently. See life differently because we need to realize that when we begin to live in such a way that we say, God, whatever, whatever it takes in my life, whatever turmoil I need to go through so that you can be glorified, I will take it. I will own it. I will walk through it because I trust you. 
So Jesus also makes this statement there uh, again about the 12 hours. So he's, he's giving them some insight. And then he says, he says, hey, but, but Lazarus is asleep. And they're like, oh, okay, Jesus, that's good news. And then he has to speak plainly. How many of you need Jesus to speak plainly to you from time to time? So he's, he's like, no, guys, I'm saying he's dead. All right? Like, you didn't quite get what I was saying uh, at the beginning there, but that's what I meant. Then Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there. He sees this as an opportunity to bring glory to God and to strengthen others' faith. Now, I can only imagine if you're friends with Lazarus and you get word, hey, Lazarus is super sick. Jesus, can you show up? And you're the disciples and you know Jesus can just walk in the room and things can be fixed. That what, what seems uh, horrible and inevitable, Jesus can walk in the room and it can, it can instantly turn. And so Jesus gets word and I can only imagine that if you're the disciples, you're like, okay, well, I know where we're going. And Jesus goes, nah, let's wait. Let's hang out for a little bit. Let's just, let's just relax. And then they get word that he, that he, that he died and, the, and he said, I'm so glad that I wasn't there. Like, that feels a little heartless, right? But again, Jesus is seeing things through a different lens. John 11, verse 17 says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Now, I want to stop there for a moment because there's something you need to understand about Jewish culture. Jewish culture believed that the soul of a person would hang around for three days, and then, and then on, but by the fourth day, it would be gone. So Jesus waited long enough that there was absolutely no hope. He waited long enough that even within Jewish culture, they would say there's no chance. There's no chance. John 11, verse 18, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. Then Martha got word that Jesus was coming. She went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. So I want to stop here for just a moment because, again, Jesus always plays the long game. He always sees into, into East Missoula in 2023. And even that scripture that you've maybe heard throughout your whole life, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me uh, will live even after dying. That's a verse that if you grew up in church at all, you heard throughout, throughout uh, your whole life. And understand though the context in which Jesus is saying it. Lazarus had to die for Jesus to make that statement. Amen. And that statement now still speaks to you and I today. That statement is a powerful statement of, of who Jesus is to us as believers. So how differently these two sisters respond to the death of their brother. Uh, and Jesus is coming. Martha is practically is the practical and the realist. And she's the activist. She hurries out to meet Jesus. And, and uh, now she, she hears that he's near. And so she runs out there and, and she begins to uh, talk to him about, man, if you'd have been here, if only you'd have showed up. Man, it could have been a lot different. I wish you would have been here and, and almost scolding Jesus at, at one point. 
It's interesting because I didn't know when I was preparing this message that they were going to play the Grief Share promo before. But part of this message deals with talking about grief because we all grieve differently. We look at this story and we see that, that Martha is the one that's got to, she's got to keep busy. She's gonna, she wants to do things. And, and if you've ever been in the home of someone when, when a loved one passes away, you'll see this. You can watch it play out. There's those who are the consolers that will sit quietly and, and just listen and be there. And then there are those who immediately have got to start cleaning the house or making the arrangements or doing the things because we all grieve in different ways. And as we look at Mary and Martha, we know that, that they were two completely different sisters in the way that they dealt with life in general, but we all deal with and experience grief in different ways. Some choose to work through it and some choose to sit in it. But can I tell you that grief is supposed to be a season? It's not a place you're supposed to live. It's not a thing you're supposed to sit in. It's a thing you're supposed to move through. That's why I love the fact that we offer grief share at the church because I think there are so many people because it's something that is, is uh, hard and we all deal with it differently. I think it's, I think it's so important that there's, there's a, a class that can walk you through and help you to understand how to, how to get to the other side of it. Verse 28 says this, then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at a place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave, they so hastily they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Jesus is addressed in uh, two different times by these two different women, and the underlying theme is, where were you? Now, I don't know about you, but I know that there have been times in my life where I walk through something and it's super hard and, it's, and, and I've prayed and I've asked and I, you have people in your life that are like, well, you're not praying hard enough or you're not asking in the right way or whatever. But in those moments, it feels like, God, where are you? Where are you? Maybe some of you sit there today. You're in a place in your, in your life where you're walking through something and you're asking God, where are you? Why are you not stepping into my story? Why are you not making this better? Why are you not giving me what I'm asking for? And all of those things, but so many people will get stuck there. We'll stop in that moment of, of feeling sorry for ourselves instead of putting our trust and our hope and understanding that, that he will make a way. I love that we sang that song tonight, that, that he won't fail. He can't fail. Failure isn't even on his menu. It's not a part of who he is. So whatever you're walking through, if your trust is in him, he will not fail. Some in their sadness choose to confront their faith. Where were you? And others choose to stay home stuck in, knowing, in not knowing how to move and still others make themselves busy. And no matter how grief hits you, you need to understand that we need to, we need to push through and we need to trust and we need to believe and we need to ask God that even in the midst of watching that video of the tragic stuff that's going on in, in Turkey and, and, and other parts of the world where, where we need to just come to a place and go, God, I don't understand this, but I am going to trust you through it. Hallelujah. And maybe that's where you need to be today is you need to come to that place where you trust him even in the middle of it. Verse 33 says this, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. 
The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, the man healed the blind man. The man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? So this is interesting because if you read this, you think Jesus is weeping because Lazarus died, but that's not why he's weeping. He's weeping in this moment at the lack of faith that's around him. People who had seen Jesus do amazing things now are are calling him out and and questioning his motives and questioning his methods and questioning how how he does things. And many of us can get stuck in this where we're walking through something hard and we begin to question God. Why have you not done it this way? I've told you this before, but I think for many of us, we need to really think this through because if we were to always get our prayers answered the way we pray them, this world would be a messed up place. If we got to put our trust in our plan, we're in a lot of trouble. But if our trust is in his plan and he is all-knowing and all-seeing, he is in yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever, he knows what needs to happen. So my hope is not in what I believe. My hope is in what he knows. So Jesus is about to face his nemesis, the one whom he had come to destroy. Death has no authority in his presence and had overstepped its bounds once again. So just as a fighter prepares to face another, Jesus turns and says, where is he? Then as his head, toward, uh, his head turns towards the grave, the Bible says that he wept. John 11, verse 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Can I tell you that as we look at this, the situation stinks. The opportunity that Jesus needs means that there's going to be some mess with it. Jesus has allowed Lazarus to die. He's come to this place where he has he's come to the tomb and he's, and he's now faced with this opportunity that he knows will bring glory to God, that it will be preached from pulpits for the rest of eternity. This moment that, that seems so unfair, it seems so wrong, it seems like not the right solution, but Jesus knows what will bring the most glory to his father. And so he stands at the, at the mouth of this tomb and he says, roll that stone away. And as we've done this underdog series, we've been watching people in our own church family who have seemed to be too far gone. Many of you, your story is one where everybody has maybe even written you off. Where, where people who are believers in your life had prayed for you for some time, but have gotten to a place where they're like, there's no way. Or maybe you sit in the room today and there are people in your life that you'll say they would never, they would never darken the doorway of a church. They would never accept Jesus as their savior. And we've gotten to this place in our lives where we've begun to believe this lie that says somebody is too far gone. And as we look at this, we need to understand that Jesus comes and he says, move the stone. And everybody begins to think, oh, this is going to be horrific. The, the smell is going to be bad. It's, it's just going to be messy and all those things. But aren't you so glad that Jesus doesn't shy away from a mess? Yes, right. Some of you know that because they've rolled the stone for you. You've already walked from that grave. You've, you've, you've moved from death to life. And so 
over these last few weeks, we've been, we've been looking at stories from within our church family. And so today I want you to watch just another one of these amazing stories. My name is Haley Halepis, and I have been attending Frontline Youth for a little over a year now. When I was really little, my parents had got a divorce, and after that, I kind of just traveled around with my mom, state to state, city to city, boyfriend after boyfriend. Um, I clung to several of her boyfriends because I craved having a father figure in my life. Um, when I was around the age of six, she met and married my stepdad. And then three times throughout um, elementary school, I was sent to live with my aunt and uncle because of a very unstable home. Into sixth grade year, um, I had moved to Oklahoma with my parents and I loved Oklahoma. I loved my friends, I loved my school. I often went to, my friends often took me to youth group with them. I went to a couple church camps with them. I just, I loved it there. Um, but through sixth through eighth grade, my parents fighting had became very horrendous. And that's when I started self-harming. Um, in the middle of eighth grade year, I had moved to Tennessee. And yes, I've moved several times in my life, but this one was just, worse. It hit me so hard. Um, I started a new school in the middle of eighth grade year. Um, it was a very different place, uh, very different people. Uh, I often got made fun of at my new school and uh, I was extremely lonely. And this is when I just, I really, I started self-harming even more. Going into freshman year, I started volleyball at my high school and I started hanging out with a group of girls. And this is when I started going down a pretty bad path. Um, I was introduced to partying, guys, and stuff like that. I wasn't necessarily drinking yet, but I was still disobeying my parents, going behind their back, not doing what I was supposed to do. I was kind of flunking school just a little bit. And then, um, then COVID hit, and I was hanging out with someone who couldn't have been a worse influence. Um, I started drinking, doing drugs, sneaking out, sleeping around, um, and uh, I was hanging out with very unhealthy people, which led me to get sexually abused by one of them. Um, after that happened, uh, things escalated in my life. Uh, my parents found out, and um, sophomore year came, and they took all of my electronics. Uh, pulled me out of school, isolated me from everyone, and the majority of my sophomore year, I spent sitting in my room, crying and crying, um, feeling like there was no hope, like I had no purpose, there was just nothing for me. And in this time, um, self-harming became my like go-to, like that's the only thing that I would, that I thought I could run to. And then my parents started to notice. Um, they attempted to put me in counseling, which I left within a month because I just, I felt like nobody could understand me, like it wasn't going to get better. One night I had done something that my parents were not okay with and they told me not to come home. So I did not go home that night and the next day I went to school and my mom showed up at my school and as soon as I saw her I ran down, ran down the hallway. 
um, the SRO at my school and the counselors told me that I would either have to go with her or get arrested. So I went with my mom and she, her and my stepdad actually took me to the police station after that and tried to get me arrested, but they didn't have much to charge me for. My like best friend at the time, um, she saw what happened and so she filed a police report against my stepdad that caused my stepdad to um, accuse me of ruining his life and this is when he told me to um, do everyone a favor and kill myself. So a little over a year now, a year ago, um, I attempted suicide and that's what led me here to live with my aunt and uncle for the fourth time. Um, I'd say for the first few months that I lived with them, I had like everyone fooled. Um, Everyone thought I was doing better, like not doing the things I was doing before. I had a relationship with God, just changed overall. And that was not the case. I was still hanging out with people that were bad influences on me, doing some of the things that I did before, barely had a relationship with God. Um, and then God let the truth out. And when that happened, it was a major eye opener for me. And um, I decided like, I need change. I, I can't go back down the hill that I was going. Um, and so I continued to try to build a relationship with God. And then it really, it really sprouted at Glacier Bible Camp this summer. That's when I realized like, I need to live for God. I want to live for God. This is who I want to be. And so then I got back and I just, I continued to grow that relationship just stronger and stronger. And that's when I decided to get baptized. And then um, that was, Getting baptized was one of the most amazing things I've ever been through. Like just knowing that, like, just God felt so strong in that moment. If there is one thing I could encourage you with, it's just to know that um, it does get better. Even in your darkest moments where you feel like you're completely alone, like nobody is there, it, it gets better. Like my relationship through God has just let me know that like that, that feeling of feeling lost and lonely is gone because I know I'm not alone and I know he's there for me, watching over me. And I talk to him all the time now, like you're gonna get through it. It, it feels like it's the end of the world, but once you're, once you're not in it anymore, it's just like, wow, I was, I was there and now I'm here. Um, and I just wanna say I would not have been able to do it without my aunt and uncle by my side. Uh, they always push me so hard to do the best thing, to do what's right, to have a relationship with God. Even when I slip up and they honestly shouldn't have given me as many chances as they have, they have never let, let me down. Like they have just done so much for me. And I just, I, I'm beyond thankful for that, for them giving me a home and showing me love and showing me how it is to live in a stable place. And uh, River has just now became my family. Verse 40, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory in you uh, if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. 
but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here, so they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. As I thought about that story this week, it's a story that I've grown up listening to and hearing in church my whole life. But as I was thinking about that story and that specific moment in that story, it's an incredible moment where, again, Jesus shows up and he says, hey, move the stone. As I thought about that for a moment, it took some guys to move the stone. It took some people to do what Jesus needed them to do. Then Jesus speaks life into this man. And the man comes forth. But then Jesus, what does he do? He asks for more help. Loose him. Unwrap him. Now, that's a couple of lines in the, in the story. But can I tell you, that's a pretty stinky job that that guy got, whoever that was. He had to step into a place where, I'm just going to tell you right now, it doesn't matter that he's alive now. It's still a smell that came with that. And so Jesus breathes life, but it took others to unwrap him. It took others to step into his story. Can I tell you, had they not unwrapped him, he would have, he would have probably died again, right? Because he was probably covered from head to toe. He probably would have suffocated. Can you imagine that? That would have been a horrible miracle. <laughs> Bring him out. Watch him die again. But Jesus didn't go do those things himself. He called on others. So even as I was watching Haley's story, it takes others to step in. Jesus breathes life, but it takes others. And can I tell you right now, having raised two teenagers, bringing in a teenager that is, that, that is, is from someone else and saying, I'm going to do the best that I can to rescue you, can I tell you that that can be pretty stinky, I'm guessing, from time. Can I get an amen, Seth and Mona? Uh, we love you, Haley. Um, <laughs> But I, I couldn't help but think about that, that part of the story because Jesus does the hard work. He does the heavy lifting, but he still needs us. He still asks for us to step in. He, and for many of you, what you need to understand is some of you, you've got people in your life that you feel are too far gone. Here, Mary and Martha are like, it's been four days. It's gonna stink, Jesus. It's not gonna work. There's no way. But Jesus says, hey, move the stone. Yeah, that's right. Come on, and so he needed some people to step in and move the stone. And then he needed some people to loose him, to unwrap the grave clothes. And can you imagine if those people said, nah, I don't really want to. It's too stinky. It's too messy. I don't want to get involved. If they would have stood to the side, it would have been quite a spectacle to watch Lazarus trying to wiggle his way out. So why is it that we, that we want to be a place where messy people can come? Because God has called us to unwrap the grave clothes. It's not our job to bring them back to life. That's his job. But it is our job to move the, the obstacles out of the way and to loose them when he does set them free. The thing about this story, too, is that Jesus, it's interesting because Jesus waited on the outside he waited, he didn't go right, rushing right in and, and do whatever, whatever needed to be done. He waited until the people came to him because he wanted them to want what he had to offer. 
And for many of you, what you need to understand is that Jesus is there and he's waiting. He wants to step into your story. He wants to be invited into your mess. He wants to be, he wants to be asked to come and, and for you to put your faith and your trust in him. Now, in this story, Jesus got a little angry because he couldn't believe that they didn't understand. And it's easy for us because we know the outcome for us to go, man, they really didn't have much faith. But if you and I were in that story, we'd have re responded probably the exact same way. And many of us still are responding that way. There are things in your life that you've, you've buried and, and said it's too far gone. And I'm telling you that the God that we serve can resurrect. The God that we serve can bring life where there is no life. And maybe you sit in the room and you feel like you're the one that's too far gone. And I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter what your past is. Because if you'll trust Jesus with your future, he will call you out of the grave. He'll wait for you at the crossroads. He will weep with you and even get angry, but he wants you to bring him to the source of your pain because he and only he is, ultimately, is, can, is able to ultimately defeat it. And so some of you sit in this room today or you're watching online and you have been mourning, you've been feeling as though something in your life is too far gone, your, situ your situation seems irredeemable, your, your loved one isn't, isn't, is so far from where they need to be, whatever it is, whatever your circumstance is, can I tell you that we sang about it before I even got up here to preach, but we got to come to this place where we put our faith and our hope and our trust in him and we believe him and take him at his word because he will bring dead things to life. That's who he is. So I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes with me for the next few moments because I believe that there are some of you that are in this room today and you've gotten to a place in your life where you like to hear about faith, you even like to sing about faith, but you don't actually like to walk in faith. And today God is calling you. He's saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to, to understand that I am the one. I am the one that is able. I am the one that can. I can do what no one else can do. And whether it's a circumstance in your life that you feel like there's no way it will ever come around, can I tell you that I've seen, I've seen the broken be mended. I've seen those who were dead be raised. I've seen those who, have, who, who seemed as though there was no hope, all of a sudden a spark of hope comes to them. Not because of a church, not because of a pastor, but because of a risen Savior. And no matter how far somebody is, Jesus loves them. And so today as we close this time out together, I want to I open up an opportunity for, for you to come and just to to leave whatever it is at Jesus' feet. Some of you have worried and you've fretted and you've feared and you've done all the things that you know how to do and nothing seems to be working, but the thing you need to do is invite Jesus into the situation. Invite him into the story and not only invite him into it, but let him have it, trust him with it. This story is great because Jesus shows up and nobody thinks that he's gonna do anything. It's been four days. Too far gone, not a chance, no hope. And Jesus says, move the stone. And people were faithful and they did what he said. For some of you, the reason that the dead aren't coming to life is because you've not been faithful and Jesus is saying, move the stone. Well, guess what? Jesus won't resurrect Lazarus if you won't move the stone. And then he brings him to life and then he says, loose him, unwrap him set him free 
so this miracle doesn't become another tragedy. He needs you. He needs you in the story. He needs you to step in. I'm so grateful as I watched Haley's testimony again to just think about the fact that people have stepped into her story. They've cared about her. And even when it's gotten hard, they've been there. Who is it in your life that God is calling you to step in? What are the areas of your story that you need to step in and and set someone free? You need to step in and watch as Jesus breathes life into them. Or maybe you're that person that feels like you're too far gone, there's no hope for me. Well, today I'm telling you that is a lie from the enemy. So as we close out this time with just a little bit more worship, the altars are gonna be open. There'll be people that are down here that would love to pray with you if you need prayer. But will you just take the next few moments and whatever part of that message that spoke to you, will you just solidify it with God? I really feel like there are some of you that are, that, are, that are watching this today and you really feel like you're the exception to the rule that God couldn't love you because of what you've done. Today, will you just surrender? Say, God, I trust you. Even if that's the only words you can get out of your mouth is that, God, I trust you. He's going to meet you right where you are. He's going to show up in your story. I, I promise you, he loves you today. So I want us to pray. You stand and we're going to worship in just a moment, but I just really feel like some of you need to come and spend some time at an altar just solidifying what God has laid on your heart. But God, we just thank you so much that Father, no matter where we are in our faith journey, that God, there's not one of us in this room that is too far gone. That God, you love us in the midst of our stuff, in the midst of our junk, in the midst of our chaos. God, you not only see us, but you care for us. You have plans and dreams and desires for us. And so, God, for those who are here today, that you are, you are speaking life into them right now, that, God, we will walk in the freedom that you provide. And God, I pray that your church will be a church that is willing to move the stone, to deal with the smell, to loose those who were dead as you bring them to life. God, help us to never lose sight of the glorious miracle of the salvation that we've received. God, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The altars are open as we continue with worship. Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolmt.com. Thanks.